Welcome to the Principled Podcast, brought to you by LRN. The Principled Podcast brings together the collective wisdom on ethics, business and compliance, transformative stories of leadership, and inspiring workplace culture. Listen in to discover valuable strategies from our community of business leaders and workplace change makers. Hello and welcome to another episode of LRN's Principled Podcast. My name is Ben DiPietro. I'm the editor of LRN's ENC Pulse newsletter. I hope you can find that and subscribe. With me today is Amy Mertz-Brown, who is the Chief Compliance Officer at Gerstel Law Firm, a creditor's rights firm headquartered in Golden Valley, Minnesota, and that practices in nine states. Prior to joining Gerstel, Amy was the Chief Compliance Officer at the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, where she led a team of attorneys and professionals to oversee ethics and compliance for all SEC employees. Before that, she helped develop and implement the Ethics and Compliance Program at the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, and previous to that has served in positions at the United States Department of Treasury and the U.S. Small Business Administration. Along with being a graduate of Washington College of Law at the American University, she's also a native of Hawaii. So uh, aloha and welcome, Amy. Thank you so much, Ben. Great to be here. How did you get interested in ethics and compliance? And what about this profession animates you to the point that you chose to make a career of it? And tell us about that path and how you came to join Gerstel and what you do there. I think my interest in the profession developed over time. I think that, as you mentioned, my career path, I've, I've always been in-house counsel at a variety of large and small government agencies and organizations. And I've always gravitated toward the preventative law stuff, the advising and counseling and trying to prevent problems from happening. I did have some litigation experience and some other kinds of work, policymaking and rule writing experience, but I kept gravitating back to that advisory role. Basically, that's what kind of pushed me into this area. And in terms of a career choice and why why I've really focused entirely on it now, it really starts back when I was still at the CFPB like you said, helped start the legal department there and and really started the ethics program there, the government ethics program. And I was looking for, I guess, new ideas. One of my major themes in in my professional life is continuous improvement. And so I was looking for ideas outside of government. And so began reaching out into the ethics and compliance industry and community and discovered that there were so many similarities with things that I'm interested in and that I was already doing and that I wanted to do. And so as I got more and more connected with folks outside of government, the more excited I got about the industry. I also think I'm pretty good at explaining things to people and and making them want to comply with the rules. So that's kind of a natural skill set match. And sort of how I came to Gerstel, it's, I guess, a a great story, and it really relates to what many of us in this industry already know, which is that we really like to network with each other. And some of your listeners may know Ling Ling Nye, who's currently the, the general counsel and chief compliance officer at Georgia Tech University. She and I used to work together at Department of Treasury, and we kept in touch. And as I was several years ago thinking about leaving the government and looking into the private sector, I reached out to her and said, hey, do you know of any positions? And she's like, well, no, not now, but you know, I'll keep you in mind. Well, fast forward like several years later, and she says that she was sitting in an airport talking to a guy sitting next to her. 
they both had been at a conference in DC and they were traveling back to their respective homes. And he mentions, well, you know what? We're looking for a chief compliance officer. You wouldn't happen to know anybody, would you? And she says, well, actually, Amy Mertz Brown, she has some CFPB experience. That might be what might be good for you. So why don't you reach out to her? And she put the two of us in touch. The fellow who uh, is now my boss, the chief operating officer and general counsel of the firm. And we started a conversation and it turned into a job offer. I really wasn't, you know, I was so happy with my SEC job and I wasn't really specifically looking to change positions at that point, but the opportunity was just so good and it was a good fit for me at the firm. So that's how it happened. So you've obviously held so many different roles in government. What are some of the challenges then for conducting ENC in a federal agency? And what are the differences between doing it in a government setting and doing it in the private sector now? Yeah. Well, I think one of the challenges of doing it in the private sector, from what I've seen so far in my my short few months here, is it's there's so many different layers of authority that have to be balanced and evaluated. Whereas in the government, it's more focused on individual employees. And so I think it's more personal to the employee and the, the set of laws that we are focused on in the government ethics world, at least, is narrower. And one of the things that I found that in the government, because the ethics rules are focused on conflict of interest and sort of the, the issues between a person's personal financial interests and connections and associations and their government job, it's very personal. And most employees really are very motivated to stay on the right side of the ethics laws. So it's, it's kind of a, a built-in motivator, if you will. But in the private sector, the regulatory compliance, which is really what I'm focused on now, is more focused on the organization and what it's supposed to be doing, not so much on individual people liability. Although I will have a caveat there, which is that because it's a law firm, obviously every licensed attorney has their own conduct rules that they have to comply with. And so probably they're more focused on their personal liability issues than maybe in a, in a non-law firm setting. But that's one of the big challenges in the private sector is trying to bring those entity-wide regulatory compliance issues down to a personal level and show folks why they need to follow those rules so that the organization can be on the right side of the, of the compliance line. Some of the kind of operational challenges are really go to things like, are they required to get legal sign-off or compliance sign-off on things that they want to do? In the government, you often see that that's a built-in requirement. And so you have a built-in checkpoint, whereas in the private sector, it's much more based on persuasion and influence. So you joined Gerstel last summer during the middle of this pandemic that's still going on. And have you met any of your colleagues yet in person? And how much more challenging has it been to try and learn about your new workmates and the firm itself mm -hmm. if you are remote? And how can a well-run ENC program help new employees like yourself integrate more seamlessly into that environment? Yeah. Well, I, I did go to the office once in early fall. I kind of was reading the tea leaves about the pandemic and specifically the fact that it looked like pretty likely that with flu season and just winter in general, that traveling would become more difficult. So I, I squeezed in a trip before the fall really got underway. And so I, I'm really glad I did that because I got to meet all my employees on my team in person and met many of the executives that are in the Golden Valley office. So that's very, very helpful to have that in-person contact. But 
it's interesting because I think it's almost like a better way to join a firm if you're going to be a remote worker like I am going to be in this job because I'm not going to be moving to Minnesota to work directly in our main headquarters office. I'll be staying here in the DC area. But what I found is that because all of the the, man, the executive team is all in a little box on a screen, we're all kind of equal <laughs> in footing. And so it actually, I think, contributes to an ease of entry into that executive team because everybody's on the same footing. So it, it's sort of an interesting advantage. I also have managed employees remotely in quite a few of my previous jobs. So it wasn't a tough thing to try to manage my direct team remotely. So that's something I think is probably a harder challenge for people who've never done that before. So what do you think the lasting changes from COVID are going to be to the ENC profession? I think we're going to see a lot more employees in a white collar setting working remotely, even after COVID is done. I mean, certainly I think many companies were heading that direction. Some companies were pulling back to an in-office experience over the last two or three years. I've heard that. But I think this is going to push us back down the path of making it possible for many employees to be teleworking more often or permanently. And that means, again, technology, got to have good technology. But also, it, it increases the risk of um, IT security and, and cybersecurity problems. And I think that's going to particularly with what's happening with some of the recent hacks that have happened. I think that that industry of, of cyber is going to be a huge growth industry and hopefully lots of good, smart people will move into that industry to help stay ahead of the bad guys on that one. But I think also just things like for the ENC function in particular, I think we have to really kind of get oriented towards a mobile and remote environment for delivering our products and services that that the ENC program needs to deliver. Things like training, guidance documents, maybe even exploring mobile applications that employees can download material to a phone. I'm a huge fan of live training, and I, I don't think we'll ever get away from that completely, but I think we have to have more avenues and more sources for training and guidance to our employees and not rely solely on live training, because it's going to be more and more difficult to do that. Just so our people know, we're recording this in mid-January, so we're just on the verge of moving over into a new administration, we hope. And as uh, someone whose career in government has spanned different administrations from both parties, could you share some of what you think is taking place as new people come in and get established now? Yeah, I, I have been through multiple transitions, both from one party to another, and back again, and then also transitions within the same administration, the same party. The transitions between parties is extremely time-consuming and difficult. And I think what we're seeing now is a huge push to finish things for the current administration. Many agencies, including the CFPB, are issuing massive rulemakings. They're issuing decisions in things like enforcement cases. They're issuing different policy like the CFPB just issued a final advisory opinion program. So those are the things that these agencies have been working on for many, many months and possibly years and are trying to finish up because once the new administration comes, there obviously will be new priorities, but also just new 
new work. And so they won't have time to finish those things anymore. The other thing that they're doing is creating huge briefing books, <laughs> which are literally what they sound like, giant books of laws, authorities, pending matters, key open issues, any recommendations from career staff about things that they think the new administration might care about in terms of policy issues or debates. The folks are working with the transition team to inform them. The transition teams have been on site in many, most agencies, if not all. I think there were a couple holdouts that resisted a little bit, but they are interviewing people. They're talking about what's happening. And and all of that is on the career staff to respond to. A lot of work on all. In fact, the transition teams usually don't want to talk to the current political people. They, They go straight down to the career staff. So it is a huge amount of work. I recall when I was working in a rulemaking function, a policy rule writing function at the end of the Clinton administration, I spent weeks and weeks writing these giant rules and got them published. And then literally on probably the 21st of January, I was told to rewrite all the rules I just wrote. <laughs> so that could happen in quite a few places. Paint the bridge and then you just start over and paint the bridge yeah. again. Yeah, but you know, that's that's what the career staff do. They 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 follow the direction of the administrative policymakers. That's what my in my experience, those folks are the true soldiers of our federal government. They are the civil servants that just they do the right thing no matter who's in charge. So given that, what types of changes do you anticipate as we return to Democratic Party control? <laughs> yeah. And what can teams, ENC teams, do to prepare for those changes? Mm-hmm. Well, Ben, it's interesting that I can even speak on this issue now because for all those years in the federal government, I wouldn't have been able to answer a question like that no, no. <laughs> because of the Hatch Act. <laughs> <laughs> but now I'm not covered by that anymore. So, well, I'll speak specifically to the financial services industry, because that's what I know best. And I I think that we're going to see more enforcement activity from regulators. And I think that the enforcement activity is going to swing back to company-wide or company-level enforcement activity. I think we had seen more of a swing toward individual liability, but I think we're going to swing back to more corporate-level liability kinds of issues being addressed in those enforcement actions. I also think we're going to see more of an emphasis on what I would call marginalized consumers, including fair lending issues, maybe students, military consumers, folks like that. And I would say from an ENC perspective, I would I would recommend putting more focus and resources on, on a compliance risk assessment and prevention. It might be a good idea to kind of do a self-assessment right about now. And as I mentioned earlier, the focus on continuous improvement is always a good thing to be able to show a regulator that you're recognizing your risks and working on them. They don't expect perfection, but they certainly would give great weight to a recognition of a risk and a significant effort to work on it, on minimizing it. As I mentioned at the beginning, we both have spent time in Hawaii. You grew up there Mm -hmm. and I spent 14 years as a journalist. And we're both pretty well versed in the idea of the quote-unquote aloha spirit. First, give our listeners a 30-second definition of what the aloha spirit is, and then talk about how ENC professionals can learn from the ethics and values that are the underpinning of that aloha spirit, and how, to use another Hawaii phrase, we can all learn to live aloha a little bit more. Yeah, I'm a firm believer that there is such a thing as the Aloha spirit. It's it's absolutely a real thing. It's not a fake. <laughs> I would sum it up as 
being authentic, assuming goodwill, practicing your own culture and sharing it with others and appreciating cultural differences and um, appreciating beauty and what it often is embodied in a smile. It seems kind of silly, but that's really a real thing. We can bring that to the ENC profession. I mean, first of all, most ENC professionals are fit into this definition pretty well. I think it attracts people that are interested in people and helping people be better, appreciating other people and their unique perspectives and trying to understand them. And I think those things are really helpful for the industry. And on a personal level, I think smiling and appreciating beauty just helps us as ENC professionals really maintain our own equilibrium and our own grounding in this work, because it can be tough sometimes. We deal with a lot of people's problems and companies' problems, and it can be hard to maintain that centering. And I think looking for the beautiful things in the world and smiling really helps with that grounding. It sure helps to have beautiful things like Hawaii to look at too. So. Sure, sure. <laughs> to be fair. That helps. We certainly had a bit of an advantage. <laughs> and having great weather and sunny days also helps a lot. <laughs> yes, I do miss January the most, and along with all the good food and people. But I want to thank you so much for taking time. That was enjoyable. And I look forward to uh, seeing what you do here at Christelle. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to get together one of these days when COVID lets us. That sounds good. Thanks so much, Ben. Sure. Thank you so much, Amy. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode. The Principled Podcast is brought to you by LRN. At LRN, our mission is to inspire principled performance in global organizations by helping them foster winning ethical cultures rooted in sustainable values. Please visit us at LRN.com to learn more. And if you enjoyed this episode, subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen. And don't forget to leave us a review.